Good morning. Good morning. Oh, thank you. With the lights here, I just wasn't sure. <laughs> Maybe you'd already gone for coffee or something. So, All right. Hey, uh, I'm just going to have a little quick family chat with you. Journey as a family, we love each other here. Uh, people have said, I think four times this last week, unsolicited, I've had people come to me and say how much they love Journey Church. And they, they talk about many things that are real specific. And one of them is that they, they believe that people here care about their spiritual life and love each other. And so I thought I'd have just a little bit of a family chat with you. Um, we, we have great uh, adult ministries, youth ministries, and children's ministries here. And one of the ministries right now is experiencing some growth and pressure that we just need some help with. And so uh, the base camp ministry, we've mentioned this a few times before, but we're at the point now where uh, some of the preschool uh, classes are large enough to where there is, just isn't a good number of, or a good amount of space in that class to take care of the, uh, the kids. And so we're going to close that class off and once it fills up, and we just need staff to begin new classes. So Chad, if you could put those slides up there. Uh, 9 o'clock right now, before we would start a new class, we need teachers even in some of the other classes because they have grown too, but their, their uh, rooms are still large enough to take care of them. Two teachers in the Adventures class, one in the Leapers, and then at 11 o'clock, uh, one teacher in the Adventures in that class as well. If you enjoy investing in something that really matters, folks, these kids are, are literally our most vulnerable and helpless part of, of our population here at Journey. They need to be built up and encouraged spiritually as well. And it doesn't take a whole lot of effort for us to do that because we rotate the staff. It's not like you're there from now till the rapture, you know, right? So one of the commitments uh, uh, that we make is that we take care of our staff. And so if you could invest some time, that would be great. To, to just start a new class, I just thought I'd let you know what that takes. A new class would need one teacher, two helpers, and four parents every four weeks rotating. That's how many people? Just read the last line there. <laughs> 21, right? That's 21 people because of three services. That's 21 people, uh, not from this service, but from all three, that uh, would start that new class. That's, that's the uh, kind of the job description that our children's ministry uh, staff has to, to work with. So you can see it's not like we need one or two and somebody else will do it. We need quite a few people. So I'm just going to leave that to you as our family and say, hey, you know, pray about that. Ask God uh, to... Uh, uh, talk to you about, hey, would one of those areas just fit something I could do on a rotating basis, and we'll just work on our, our uh, care for our smallest uh, members at Journey, because they are very important. So let's pray together before we get started uh, with the sermon. Father, we're uh, aware of the fact that, that you've told us that you come to meet with us here, and I pray that today we would have a sense of your presence, and that our hearts would be open. And that, Lord, we would sense your motive and your love for us today uh, as one that we have uh, in our uh, classroom here, essentially, a safe environment and a place where we can be uh, uh, not only taught, but uh, sense your love and your concern for each one of us. So we, we thank you for Journey Church, and we pray, Lord, that you'd protect this church, give us the ability to do everything with excellence. In Jesus' name, amen. You bet. How many of you have observed uh, something that reminded you this week that we live in an imperfect world? Have you observed something like that? Come on, how many of you are married? <laughs> Come on. Or dating a human being, or, you know, uh, work with human beings. Uh, uh, have you called tech support lately? You know, things like that. Uh, we live in a per an imperfect world, and, and the Bible calls it 
uh, a fallen world. Uh, it's a world that has lots of imperfections to it. And we've been working through that in our, our uh, series here on Life Hurts, God Heals. And I'm just going to tell you where we're going today real quickly. There's three areas, and they're on your sheet or in your booklet. If you brought your booklet, I hope you bring that each week. Um, we're going to talk about three questions. Where do our character defects come from? Why does it take so long to get rid of them? And how do we cooperate with God in order to free ourselves from the effects of the defects? Okay? That's where we're going. So i ask you another question. Have you had a time in your life when you have... Um, Put yourself under the authority of somebody for your own well-being. You ever done that? Uh, has there been a time in your life when you've actually let somebody have authority over you and it was the smartest thing you ever did? About 10 years ago, uh, I had a heart operation. And uh, that surgeon, uh, uh, that folks wheeled me into the operating room and that surgeon began to work on me and, uh, and he opened me up a bit. And, and uh, I, when I was recovering, I pictured him going into my my body there and taking my heart and going and having the nurse go, what are you doing? Just making sure Jesus is in there. Okay? <laughs> yeah. No, probably didn't happen, right? But bottom line is they worked on me, came out great. Okay? And uh, I'm very thankful for that. So putting ourselves under the authority of people is a, is a smart thing to do. Let's say you were um, uh, in a building on the 15th floor and all of a sudden you thought you smelled smoke and you looked up at the, at the air vent and smoke started just cascading in through the ventilation uh, uh, vent there and you went over to the door and you, could, you started to feel some heat and you touched the door and it's kind of warm, grabbed the doorknob real quick and it burnt all your fingers. You backed away and you looked at the other end of the room and it was filling with smoke. You started to go down there but it was too black so you started to get down and all of a sudden you thought, I may not get out of here. And from the other end of the room, you hear somebody <laughs> come through the door. And he, as he made his way through the, through the smoke, and you're getting lower and lower and, and beginning to feel the effects of that smoke, here's a guy who comes into the room wearing something like this. And he grabs your arm, and he says, Now listen to me. Follow my instructions if you want to get out of here alive. Well, if somebody did that to me, what if I went, Hey! Who do you think you are? grabbing my arm, telling me what to do. And this, by the way, stop yelling at me. I don't even know you. Unlikely, right? Unlikely. Because I know I have a need, and I know that likely he knows how to get me out of there. Well, that's a piece of cake. That's real obvious, isn't it? We put ourselves in, in, under the, uh, the authority or the skills of counselors, of police, of all kinds of people. But you know, folks, uh, we do that because we believe they have something that will help us. And we trust their motives as well. Um, they, are, they have our best interest in mind. Uh, we trust their motives, their knowledge and skills, and so we submit to them. Right? Sure. My good friend Fred Nelson said, uh, you know, Sam... It's always in our best interest. And he kind of said it to Sam, it's always in your best interest to love God and to obey his commands. It's always in your best interest. And that's because God's motives are love for us and his goal is our redemption. So it would be the wisest and most intelligent thing I could do to uh, follow his commands and listen to him. Just like a firefighter, Jesus, folks, has, been, has broken into our world. He's, he has skills and truth and information that we don't have. 
He's given it to us in the Scriptures. And we, if we put that into practice, we have the ability to, to not only uh, be freed from this, uh, the effects of sin in our life and, and deal with those and be forgiven, but we have the ability to get healthy. We have the ability to deal with those defects in our life. So what would cause us to reject his counsel? Well, it's because many times we have a flawed character. We have some areas of our life where we just haven't submitted to him, and there are reasons for that. But where do these character defects come from? That's the first question we're going to talk about today. Now, I'm just going to blast through this pretty quickly. They, first of all, come from our chromosomes, okay? Uh, you have personalities, choleric, phlegmatic, melancholy, and sanguine. Those are the four, phleg- uh, four uh, personalities that uh, people have come up with, and they've named them hundreds of other things, literally, but they always come up with four, and they always uh, say you're a blend of two or three of those in, uh, dominantly. And those have str- uh, strengths and weaknesses. The second area that, that uh, our, chroma- or our uh, character defects come from is our circumstances. You know, you were raised in a family. I was raised in a family. I was raised in multiple families. Maybe you weren't raised in any family. You just kind of passed around. Or maybe you were raised in just a great family. But all of those experiences in your family modeled things for you as you grew up. And they were the circumstances you grew up with. And they affected you. They affected your worldview and how you see God. Um, We grow up with those things. And because of those circumstances, when we get in an unfamiliar in territory, we tend to push the default button and drop back to what we're comfortable with, the way we were raised. Now, if that was a good modeling, we're in great shape. But usually there's always areas of our life that, that the modeling just wasn't always godly or wasn't always good counsel. And we need to default to something else. The third area that our character defects come from is our choices. Now, you can't change your genetics your chromosomes. You can't change the way you were raised. It's already happened. You can't change your life experiences, but you can begin today changing the choices that you make. I can begin changing the choices that I make. Our free will is the most powerful uh, force on this planet short of God's uh, power himself. And you say, well, what, what about Satan? Well, let's be honest about Satan. Satan cannot make you do anything. The Bible says that we have the ability to resist Satan. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself then to God. It'll be up there in a second. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We have the ability to thwart the things that Satan would want to do in our lives if we choose to submit to God. No Christ follower has the the right to say, I'm totally a victim, I can, I can do nothing. You are not a victim. No matter how negative or abusive your childhood or your upbringing may have been, folks, we get to choose the end of the story. Right? Yeah, we get to choose the end of the story. So just like that firefighter who entered in to save you, uh, and like Christ has entered into the world, we are either going to be willing to listen to Christ or in our pride and rebellion decide that actually I know what's best uh, and I'm going to do my own thing to my own detriment. And that's, you see that everywhere. People are unwilling to change. So they're living with that choice. So today we're going to talk about the things that really help us move out of that. Why does it take so long to get rid of our character defects? That's that second question. Why does it take so long? Well, 
because we've had them so long. We've had them so long. We've grown up with them. They're kind of what we know. Um, we take comfort in them. They're kind of our default button. We, it's kind of, this is how I do things. This is, the way, this is the way my parents did it. That's how I do it. Or this is the way I've decided I'm going to do it for my own self-protection. That's the way I do it. That's what I'm comfortable with. We choose uh, people to associate with, or we choose uh, to marry folks many times that are like our parents, good and bad. We know the emotional rules in relationships because of the way we grew up, and to change those makes us feel kind of uncomfortable, even if it would be the smartest thing we could do. So we've had them so long. If, we, if, uh, if we're going to receive God's new life for us, and we're going to ha- allow new patterns and solutions in our, in our life, we're going to have to change our default button to what is good and godly and what, what fits with what God has given us in, in the Scriptures. The Bible says that uh, we're able to do that because of our free will. And so uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we start out with an, something new to begin with. It says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life's gone. The new life has what? Begun. It's not finished yet. It's begun. And as we follow along with God, what God has told us, that new life begins to transform us, and we need to be able to transform that default button as well. It also takes longer to, to get rid of uh, your character defects in the second one there because we confuse our defects with our identity. Sometimes people say, well, I'm the black sheep, or, you know, I'm the whipping post, or, well, I'm the forgetful one. You know, my family always says that. I'm the clown. I'm the clown of the family. You know, uh, I'm the rebel. I'm the one that does what everybody else doesn't do. Who are you? Some people would say, I'm the mistake. I'm the mistake. You're a mistake only if God says you're a mistake. What does God say about you? Well, if you're a Christ follower, this is what he says about you. Pay close attention, would you? He says, you are justified. You are no longer condemned. You are Christ's friend. You are God's temple. You belong to God. You are complete in Christ. You are a saint. That's what your Creator says about you here this morning. If you love God, if you're a Christ follower, that's who you are from God's perspective. You're no mistake. And you have the ability to live as a friend of God on a daily basis. It's your new identity. But you choose to live in it or live in your default zone. Third area is this. It takes a long time to get rid of your character defects because there's always a payoff. We do things because it benefits us somehow or we'd actually change. We do unhealthy things because something about it pays off. I'm not going to spend much time on that one because I'm just going to leave it alone until later. But we can choose to, to do these things to be very destructive to ourselves and to others unless we see that that payoff is not paying off to getting us to where we really want to go as a Christ follower. The fourth area is that uh, takes us so long to change because Satan discourages us in our, discourages us in our efforts to change. There's a great difference in the way 
God's Holy Spirit and the devil speaks to you, folks. I'd like you to really get this. This is for, there's not a person here that this doesn't relate to. When the Holy Spirit comes to you and, ta- and speaks to you about something that you've done that's wrong, he is always specific, and his motive, motive is always your restoration and love and to reconcile you with, with himself and with other people. He wants to make things right again. And he gets real specific, and he tells you how you need to change. When the devil comes and we've done something wrong, he follows up with maybe, well, and what we call this over here is guilt. But when the devil comes, he comes with shame. And he'll say things like, how could you do that? What kind of a person are you anyway? You're never going to get this right, are you? What a jerk. You ever have anything like that pop into your mind? That is not the Holy Spirit. That is a satanic influence in your life. We have to respond to to the Holy Spirit and obey Him and do what's right and be reconciled. We have to not respond, renounce what the devil has said to us. Renounce means to disown, disclaim, remove, um, to to, uh, pronounce as untrue, as a lie. And you've got to Pronounce that as a lie and live in the truth if you're going to get the benefit of that and going to be able to change. Satan loves to do that. You know, old habits uh, are tough, but we can deal with them if we decide who's speaking to us and remove those from our life. John 8.32 says this, You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. You have to live in the truth and respond to it. But the freedom that we have, being set free, comes as we voluntarily submit each day to what God has for us. And you know, I'm going to look at that right now. Um, I'm just going to leave that there for now. This is a set of binoculars. They look about the same on both ends. So I've picked them up when I'm hunting and, and are out looking at animals in, in the park. And uh, I picked them up and put them into my eyes and realized I'm using them backwards. Okay? And you know, folks, when I look at you right now, you are a long way off. Rather than being up close so I can really see each one of you, you look like you're about three times as far as you should be. And many times when we begin to uh, want to focus on our problems and begin to work with God... We, we say, well, I don't, but I don't sense, I feel like God is far away. I, I feel like his help is not up close and personal to me. And I would say to you that it's very likely that you're not using God's commands and his truth and the things that the Holy Spirit would say to you, you're not using them correctly. Okay? When we do that and we get things in focus, we can, we can focus on the problems or the issues. Yep, there's a problem. Okay. Oh, still texting again, aren't you? That's right. When you use them correctly, everything comes up so you can actually work on it. You can see the things that you need to work on. God wants us to focus on things, and and our focus allows us to actually change so that the effects of our sin are removed. So voluntary submission means that we cooperate with God. Here are seven things that are ways that we can cooperate with God as we focus on uh, 
the kind of the issues. First one is we focus on changing one defect or one flaw or one issue at a time. Folks, if we focus on everything, we get nothing done, like a New Year's resolution. But in, in reality, if we focus on one thing, we can actually get that done. Don't focus on, choose, a, choose something crucial in your life. Don't focus on something like punctuality when you're dealing with shoplifting, right? You're just going to get to the store on time, <laughs> right? Choose something you know is really, that really matters and have the courage to say, God, I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to let your Holy Spirit help me to deal with these things. And that's not the only thing that you have as far as the, the arsenal to help you change. Uh, the second one is focus on one victory, or excuse me, focus on a victory one day at a time. Focus on getting it right today. Just get it right today. And then develop a track record tomorrow. Get it right again. Focus on that day. Every day you begin to, to develop a track record of successes that begin to help you have uh, a lifestyle of dealing with that, that defect or that area of your life. Joe Girard said, the elevator to success is out of order. You're going to have to take the stairs one step at a time, right? And my, my thought on this, just in summary on this one, is this. The struggle, what I've noticed is the struggle that, um, uh, incur, that we incur getting by these things one day at a time is actually what develops the character in our life. Can you walk into a gym and all of a sudden go, boom? <laughs> Probably not, right? It's a little at a time, and there's a little bit of pain involved. And so that one day at a time is what develops your character as well. The third one is we need to focus on God's, pow God's power, not our willpower. You know what, folks, many times we, we would say, ah, I, I'm going I'm to do this this time, God. And God's going to go, well, take your best shot, you know. Our willpower is great, and we need to couple that with God's truth and his power. But without God's power, most of the time, folks, our willpower falls short. Let me just throw in something that might be a new twist on your willpower. When you run up against something, you have difficulty adjusting or changing or removing or adding to your life, whatever, if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Step back and say, God, in humility, I'm asking you to help me with this. Rather than going, I got it, God. I got my willpower. Probably not. Step back and say, you know, God, I, I just humble myself before you. I ask for your strength. Give me the ability to deal with this today. And see what your humility and your prayer and your submission to God does in that moment. It may not cure the whole thing, but all of a sudden that day, you've gotten by it again, and all of a sudden it begins to get weaker in your life because you're beginning to do what's right. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The fourth one is focus on good things not on bad. 90%, folks, I've heard this all my life, 90% of the things that we worry about, what? Never come true. Never come true. I thought that was up there. Anyway. Philippians 4.8 says this, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think on these things and think on the things that are, that are excellent and worthy of praise. Your mind is a powerful weapon against the devil coming in and saying to you, you're never going to get it done. Agree with God first here and say, God, I want this, I want this to change. 
Focus on the good things, not on the bad. The fifth one is focus on doing good, not on feeling good. Cooperating with God and His Spirit every day is the secret to getting things changed. Paul talked about this in Galatians 5.1. He says, So I tell you, live by following the Spirit, then you will not do what, is, what your sinful selves want. But how do we do this? How do you, you know, quote scriptures, how do you get it done? Well, I have another follow-up scripture that's my own that I've used all my life to deal with these things. It's Romans 8.13, and it says, if, uh, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Greek language is a pictorial language, and that, that word for putting to death means to put something to death by eliminating it little by little or by starving it to death. Putting it to death isn't like, boom, and it's, it's dead. Sometimes God will do that in our life. Something is just gone, and we give him praise for that. But many times it's all about doing the right thing, focusing each day, one victory at a time, and eventually it, it becomes less and less even of what you see as the way you do things. You put it to death a little at a time. Old habits may die hard, but they do die if we don't feed them. Old habits die hard, but they do die if we don't feed them. The sixth thing is focus on people who help you, not hinder you. This is a no-brainer, isn't it? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good behavior. And can we just agree that many people have had to change entire social groups to uh, be able to be free of the things that they know in their life just keep contributing to their downfall. You may have to, you may have to move. You may have to do something different totally to get out of a setting that is just totally destructive to you. Your Heavenly Father is like any good father who knows something that is destructive to you, and he will say to you, do not hang around with those folks. I have four daughters. Trust me, I know all about that. Okay? Ungodly friends bring destruction with them, folks. God knows that friends with great character bring a great future. Pick your friends wisely. Seventh one is focus on progress, not perfection. Uh, you wouldn't have to go far to find somebody that says, you know what, I have, the bone I have to pick with Christians, um, they think they're perfect. And if they don't think they're perfect, they think they're, at least that they're always right. <laughs> right? So, they have a problem with this. And I've seen many uh, uh, middle school, high school, and college age young people who have tried their dead level best to live up to all the ideals of Scripture and they come across the verse, be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy as I am holy. And they, they know what their life is like. They know they're young and they've got a lot of mileage left in their life and they don't have it all together. The problem is they, their ideals are so high that they give up. And they say, well, you know, maybe I'm just not cut out to be a Christian. And, but maybe it's, maybe it's that everybody I'm looking at isn't really honest about how they're living. Well, it's one or the other, or maybe a little of both. Something's wrong there. Maybe, could, is it possible that we have misunderstood these verses on perfection? What does God expect of us? Anyway, um, God has said to us clearly, uh, 
Let me just say it this way. When God forgives you, it's not because of how well you've lived, is it? When you first came to Christ, it wasn't because you finally got it right. Right? We came to Christ because we knew we, we were not doing it well. And I know some of you may have a tough time seeing this. I'll put it up high. But when you come to Christ and you begin to live your life and begin to, to live and trying to honor God with your life, and all of a sudden you sin. And you say, well, I, I took, it took me 10 years, folks, of Christian living to believe that God wasn't just absolutely ticked off at me when I sinned. And that I, I, I would sometimes take weeks to come back to him and say, I'm sorry, because I just felt like he was going to condemn me immediately. Well, what I've discovered is the blood of Christ has forgiven me immediately when I stand up. If I come to God and say, God, I am sorry. I will work on that. That will not be a part of my life. I'm immediately restored. And folks, that happens whenever I sin. Even on those bad weeks. <laughs> there are some times where we just get into something and we're a mess for a period of time. What God is concerned about is if you are voluntarily submitting and saying, God, I will deal with this in my life. With your help, with your spirit, eliminating shame. What does God see in your life? He sees this, folks. He sees progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. Boy, we could take a long time on that one, and I'm not going to, but will you please remember that God is your ally, not your critic? He's there to help you, to counsel you, not to shame you. I'll leave it, leave it there. Our character defects must come under the authority and the power of God's grace and His Spirit. We've got to voluntarily submit every day to God and say, Lord, I am yours again today. So this week, live in the truth. Focus on the things that God wants you to focus on and deal with those things so that you can have the ability to have victory in your life a day at a time. And eventually, folks, it's not just a day at a time. I don't deal with stuff like I used to. I've got some of this stuff that's old news. It's out of my life. And you do too. Keep that up. For those of you that are just early in the journey, that's going to happen to you. Just keep the progress going. God's promise to us is this in Philippians 1.6. I am, oh, let's do it up here. God is beginning to do a good work in you. And I'm sure he'll continue it until it's finished when Jesus Christ comes again. He's going to continue that work as you cooperate with him and voluntarily submit to him. There's somebody that, that's a good friend of mine that's going to come and uh, kind of put uh, living color on this. His name is Tyler Powell. And Tyler, come up and share his testimony today. Let's welcome him. Good morning, Journey Church. All right. Um, Sam said, my name is Tyler Powell, for those who don't know me. And I'm going to share a little bit about my story and background and kind of how I came to this choice of really selling out to God and making that transformational choice. And I'll say it to begin with, the selling out part was actually easy. Uh, getting there was not. That was the hard part. Um, and before I jump into how I got to that point, I want to mention the point of my story so you can chew on that while I'm talking. The point is there was no meaningful change in my life. Zero. Because I didn't trust God. And I didn't trust Him because I didn't know Him. And so I'm certainly not going to sell out or surrender to somebody I don't trust, I don't know. 
They certainly didn't love him. But yet these are all things that God is asking us to do. So how I got there, that too was easy. It's funny how it's easy on both ends and hard in the middle. Um, I drifted right into it. It was a path of least resistance. Just going with the flow. I looked just like the world because it was easy. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at age seven, and so, you know, that's really what it was all about, right? If I'd read Hebrews 2.1, a lot of what I'm going to share with you wouldn't have happened, I'm sure. Hebrews 2.1 reads, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. That's exactly what I did, as you'll see. I wasn't lazy. I had dreams and aspirations, lofty goals. I was good at goal setting. Um, after a successful stint in the military, I uh, went to college. I got the girl, got the degree in that order. Um, things were going great. We were set off to see success in the business world. Things couldn't have been better. My Bible was pretty much collecting dust on the nightstand. Why read it? I mean, we can't really talk about it at work. People are uncomfortable. So why not read and study something that I could talk about? Like for my MBA, which is what I was doing. I'd get more respect, more recognition, maybe more money, right? It's good stuff. The Bible just wasn't relevant in my life at this time. My marriage of eight years was going great, um, Envy of the neighbors. I'd even lost the 30-plus pounds that I'd packed on after leaving the military. So why did I need to read this? It was just about salvation, right? The day my wife came home from a business trip and announced she didn't want to be married anymore was just the beginning. I never did get answers from her. She cleaned out the bank account, left me with about 300 bucks. Had me served with divorce papers on a Saturday. The economy was kind of like it is now, um, where we lived out in Portland, Oregon. This was on the heels of the dot-gone era. And when I went into, uh, yeah, you remember that, don't you? Um, when I went into work that Monday morning, I found out my job, too, was going away. So suddenly I find myself living in an apartment, had to sell the house quickly, looking for a job, collecting unemployment for the first time in my life. The rope between the boat I was in and God had suddenly drawn very tight. I was a million miles away from him. I couldn't see him. And I was writhing with pain to my very core. Then came cutting words from close family members who said, Oh, jeez, Tyler, we've never had a divorce in this family. And I was headed for the bottom at terminal velocity. The question I had was, will the rope snap? I kind of wanted it to. Didn't care. Then, as any good story, I, uh, the truck started having trouble, so I had it in the shop. And I'm in a rental car driving over to a friend's house for dinner one night. My brother calls and says, hey, just call in to check in. See how you're doing. I said, well, I'm one dead dog away from being a country music song. <laughs> Other than that, not too bad. He said, well, at least you got your sense of humor. It's a good thing. So at this point, I had two choices. I could end it all, which wasn't attractive, 
where I could find out if this Jesus character was real. Who is he? Is he about rebuilding? Is he about love? Or just this salvation thing, which I already had covered, right? So I said, all right, let's, let's give it a go. I had nothing better to do, a lot of time on my hands. So I started reading the Bible, a lot. Somebody said, oh, you're having trouble, read James. <laughs> okay. <laughs> James 4.8 popped out at me one day. It said, come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. All right, let's do that. Then I bumped into another passage in 1 Corinthians 3 when Paul is talking about building your house on the foundation that's Jesus Christ. And whatever we build on that will be tested, be revealed with fire, be tested, see the quality of the work. If it survives this fire, we receive rewards. If it is consumed, We don't get anything. But we ourselves will survive. But just as one escaping through the flames. I could have used one of these about then. Maybe even one of these. Everything I had built to this point in my life, everything I thought was important, everything I thought that had lasting value, was torched. So I realized... A couple things. First, my definition of success, my definition of success, was completely inaccurate with God's definition of success. I was completely and totally incapable of living my life apart from Him. I'd tried for over 30 years, and I proved myself pretty, a pretty poor carpenter, to say the least. I had built my house of wood, hay, and straw on a windy beach filled with kids playing with matches. One way or another, that house was coming down. It was inevitable. So now I'm at a point where I'm trusting God. I'm, I'm, I get it. I'm starting to see it. But what about loving Him? If He really wants us to love us, to love Him, because He loves us. That took about the next four or five years. Um, never perfection, but definite progress. There was a few of these and a couple of those. A couple of bad weeks. But definitely headed in the right direction. Then one morning I read um, another wonderful verse in John 14, 21. Jesus himself said, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. He who loves me will obey me. As if a thousand alarms went off in my head, shouting, Grow up, Tyler. Grow up. I don't want to grow up. (laughs) Grown-ups are stiff. I want to have fun. But growing up is exactly what he's been doing. It's not easy. It's not always fun. I still make mistakes, but when I make those mistakes, I run back to him immediately. My motivation for obedience now is not through the view of, you know, God's going to condemn me, but through a kind, loving God, one that forgives me each time I go back to Him. And He does this. As far as the east is from the west, right? Sins are forgiven. It's been seven years since I went through that dark valley 
And God has blessed me in many, many ways. He's rebuilt far more than was consumed. And though I've yet to remarry, although I am open to that, just so you know, (laughs) he has put in me a very strong desire to help others to see him more clearly, to learn, to grow in him. So much, in fact, that nothing else that I'm doing fulfills me quite like that. And a good friend of mine said, if you can do anything other than full-time ministry and be fulfilled, do it. I've been trying for a long time. And so I enrolled in seminary. I'm doing that and working. God is now using my story before the things I thought were big black marks he is using to help others. So meaningful change in my life has only come through trusting God with everything, through selling out, going all in, through an active relationship with Him, through loving Him because He first loved me. So as I wrap this up, I hope that you're encouraged, strengthened in your own walk um, to persevere, to, to sell out to God. It's worth it. And for those following the story, uh, the details of this story, I still have that dog. Thank you. Appreciate that, Tyler. Hope that's an encouragement to you. You know, we talk about things, you get a, get a pastor up here saying all these things, and then you kind of go, yeah, but is that livable? And uh, all of our testimonies along the way of each week have certainly presented us with some examples of people that have, that have begun, begun following God and found that He's faithful to them. So that's a good deal. Um, I'd like to have us uh, bow our heads just for a minute and just put your things aside just for a second and uh, give us some opportunity to, to uh, have some quiet time with God. You know, this morning, if, if uh, there's anything beneficial about coming to a worship service, it's about the time where you get a chance just to be alone with God and just say, you know, Lord, I, I've been listening, and uh, I do know that I, I am really, um, I'm in need of some of these things that I've heard today. And if you've got uh, anything in your life that you're saying, you know, there's just areas that I'm just not submitting to God, I, and, and, and there's some large ones, or there's some things that are real crucial Um, And you'd like to just, by responding this morning, say, to God especially, uh, Lord, I'm listening, and I'm going to begin focusing on these areas of my life so that I'd be able to see you change me and my areas of need. So is there um, uh, anyone here this morning that would say, by just looking up and uh, acknowledging to me, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put this into practice. I already sense what God is saying to me. Just lift your hand up and put it right back down. You bet. You bet. All over the room. Praise God. That's good Good to see people that are wanting to honor God with their life. Anybody else? You bet. Father, I just pray that you give these folks courage and encourage them, Lord, by your spirit. Give them the ability 
to sense you uh, working in their life as they humble themselves before you and submit to you in areas that they've just never changed in their life before. We'll trust you for that, Lord, and knowing that your, your motives towards us are always restorative and good. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins and for the ability to live in a right relationship with you in the name of Jesus. Amen.